Welcome to the A Jesus Church podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey. We're all in process, becoming something. Like a potter throwing clay or an artist mixing color, our lives are being formed. Different backgrounds and experiences blemished and cracked. Each day, an opportunity to move into or out of all that God has purposed. So the question isn't if we are becoming, but rather who are we becoming? And in this family, we want to go on the journey of becoming like Jesus. morning everyone how are we doing today yeah there's some energy in the room I'm uh, I'm just very much in agreement with Weston's kind of welcome around fall I feel like a week ago I was debating whether I should be wearing shorts on stage and then this week it was like I'm fully decked I've got the boots jeans and the sweater fall has arrived literally one of my most favorite times of the year in Oregon I love the changing of the leaves. I feel like God is just doing something when he's like, he's kind of making this amazing organic like fireworks display around us. It's beautiful. Anyways, we've been on a journey here the last few weeks, three weeks into a series on becoming like Jesus because Jesus is our rabbi. He's our model and, and we're his people. So it's super important that we figure out what's, what it means to reflect his heart, what it means to reflect his values, the things that he cares about in this crazy world that we live in, which is clamoring for all of our time and our attention. Last week, we looked at the story of Jesus and his temptation in the wilderness. And we explored how important it was for Jesus to be locked in to his identity as God's son and how we are invited at the same time to to lock into that identity as well. We are invited on the journey of becoming like Jesus as we anchor ourselves in the identity of his son, of God's sons and daughters. We get to be like him because he has said we are his. And as we move from a place of, uh, from this new place of belonging and being a part of his family, It doesn't necessarily mean that life's going to get easier, like Jordy was saying earlier on, but it does mean that our path becomes clear. We know who it is that God is calling us to, and we begin this journey of looking more and more like Jesus. And in the midst of that, we find security and strength and hope. This week, we're going to look, we're going to slide ahead, and we're going to look at two pretty amazing stories. In fact, one of my favorites, actually. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and pull it out. If you do not have a Bible... Uh, raise your hand up. Men and women in the room would love to get a Bible into your hands. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to keep this as a gift. We're going to be looking at Luke 5. Luke 5. And it's this incredible story of this miraculous catch. So if you could, why don't you, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and stand up to your feet. I'm going to read this text out over us. You know, part of the reason why we stand up when we read, by the way, is it kind of engages our body. It creates this, like, I'm responding to something. It honors God's word as we do that together. Because, you know, I'm just, I want to give you guys permission. You are allowed to respond. If I say something that you're like, man, that's a really great point. You can say, man, that's a really great point. 
I will be so excited if I hear somebody say that today. I'm just saying, uh, I will. I just, you know, you'll build up my self-esteem and all those great things. So anyways, I'm going to read this out. Are we ready now? Everybody ready? You got the passage? Luke 5, starting in verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Father, we just thank you so much for your scriptures, for your word, the fact that you have given us your story, that we can follow you, Jesus, in seeing how you live so that we can become like you. Help us today to understand the word. We know that you're kind of our, you're the best teacher in the house right now. And so we just invite you and your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Guide us through this text. We want to live wholeheartedly, to find in you so much that we would be willing to drop our nets, that we would be willing to step out of our booth, to lay our lives at your feet and follow you with all that we are. We love you, Jesus, and we fix our eyes on you. In your name we pray, amen. You can grab a seat. As you're sitting, I just wanna say, um, if you guys haven't grabbed one of these cards, uh, they're kind of by the exit entrances when you come in and out. And it's got like a reading chart of the, of the texts that we're working through every single week. I was having this great conversation with somebody on Friday. They're telling me how good it's been for their community to be reading this text together. It's like it, it starts the conversation even before the Sunday. So go ahead and encourage you to grab one of those cards on your way out. I love this story. I mean, I really do. Even before The Chosen made their version of it. Any Chosen fans out there? Yes. Yes. I was waiting for that in The Nine. And The Nine was like, there's like four people. So this, this is The Chosen crew right here. Literally, you are chosen, okay? Um, it's an amazing, amazing rendition. I, I, love, I love watching kind of all the emotion in that moment. Even before that came out, um, this story has always been so... Like, it just moves my heart. One day, Jesus, he's like standing by the Lake of Gennesaret, which was a kind of a more ancient name for the Sea of Galilee. And he had been teaching, kind of probably likely actually, like walking and teaching, and the disciples had been following him. That was kind of a thing that rabbis used to do in this time. 
And he got to the shore and now he's surrounded by this eager group of listeners with no more room to move, but desiring to continue his teaching, sharing the very words of God with this larger community of people. And he sees two boats, one belonging to Simon Peter uh, and, and likely his brother, Andrew, we find from another version of the story. And, and there's these boats sitting there dying to be used. And so Jesus is like, you know what? I'm going to step out in this boat and I'm going to carry on my teaching. So he does, gets into the boat. Simon pushes him out a little bit and he begins to teach to the gathered community on that hillside. They're eager, they're listening, they're waiting. But off to the side, there's these four fishermen, right? Who have come off of this late, long, discouraging evening. They're washing their nets. They've got nothing to show for all of their hard work sitting there probably discouraged, looking at their empty boat. Jesus continues to teach, and these fishermen are sitting there likely thinking, how are we going to pay our bills this next week? And then we read this, Luke 5, verse 4. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. I have to confess, as I was preparing this teaching this last week and kind of simmering on and sitting in this text, I was stopped dead in my tracks when I read this line. Put out to deeper water, Jesus? I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're kind of spent. We spent the whole night and we've got nothing to show for it. Put out the deeper water, Jesus. I would rather not. Jesus, I barely have enough time to do the things that I want, the things that I need to do. I don't have any time for whatever it is that you're calling me to do. Put out to deeper waters, Jesus. I just, I just don't have it. I wonder if anyone else here in this room can relate to Peter, Andrew, James, and John in this season. I know I can. I mean, I can feel it in my bones. The last number of years have been a slog. Just working, getting through, trying to keep to the task that's in front of you. So much hard work and yet so little fruit, it feels like at times. I don't know, maybe you are one of uh, like probably half of humanity that did a job transition in this last season. And you, and you had this ache in your heart at your old job and it was just discouraging and there were some needs that weren't being met, so you changed jobs. And here you sit and that ache is still there. You're still discouraged. You're still wrestling with a lot of the same feelings you had at that old job. Your hopes and your dreams feel buried under mismet expectations. Or maybe you're like the other half of humanity and you added a new relationship to your life in this last season. I mean, some more permanent than others. Maybe it's a, a new roommate, a girlfriend, a husband, a baby boy, maybe a dog, heaven forbid, a cat. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I've already had texts from saying that in the nine o'clock this morning. I know there are cat lovers out there. Okay, that's great. Jesus loves you too. Okay. And you're asking yourself, what have I done? (laughs) 
What have I done? I, I thought that this was going to bring more like life to me, but if I'm really honest, I'm just exhausted. And now I kind of feel guilty because I really wanted this. And here we sit on a Sunday morning here in, in autumn, in this beautiful Oregon autumn, and we're washing our nets. And Jesus says to us in this moment, put out into deeper water. Let down your nets for a catch. Don't quit quite yet, says Jesus. Look through the disappointment to the opportunity that I have on, this, on the other side of this step of faith. Embrace your weariness and consider what could be if you would only give me your yes. And that's the tension Peter's feeling as he responds to Jesus. But I want us to pay careful attention to each of the words that Peter says because they're very powerful. First, he starts by, by declaring master, which is like a confession of submission. Peter knew that Jesus was more than just an ordinary itinerant rabbi. He, he was something special, something different. Peter had seen him healing people and casting out demons. He'd even healed his own mother-in-law. I mean, Jesus walked around and he seemed to carry with him some incredible sense of authority that rested on every word and touched every life. He had never seen somebody like this before, this rough around the edges, constantly sticking his foot into his mouth. Fisherman knew authority when he could see it. And he calls Jesus master. And then he says, we worked hard he makes a confession of the reality of his situation. Master, last night was really difficult. We're exhausted. And this is one of the things I love about Peter, actually. I love, and I actually love it about our relationship with Jesus. It's based in reality, not in fantasy. It's based in the very fabric of our disappointments and our weariness, not in some utopian experience. I mean, I think sometimes we as followers of Jesus, we can, we, can, we can become concerned about or even afraid of showing God, coming to God with the real pain, the real hurts of our reality. But I want to let you guys in on a little secret. God can take it. He knows. He's with you. He walks with you. He walks alongside. He can take the reality of your pain. Don't be afraid of bringing him your pain. Peter states the reality of his situation to Jesus. He is honest with his mismatched expectations and hopes. And then he says a very important word. But. But. Because you say. Peter makes this confession of faith. This is that moment where faith in Jesus begins to take the reins of Peter's heart. The moment where Peter sets aside his expectations in favor of Jesus. I mean, Peter was the fisherman. Jesus was like a carpenter turned rabbi. Peter knew this water's history. And Jesus was from Nazareth. Peter had literally just been on the lake. It's likely Jesus slept a solid eight the night before. But 
There was something about Jesus. And so Peter says, I will. I will. And he makes a confession of faith. He, he says, yes, I will give you my yes, Jesus. I don't understand and I'm uncertain of the outcome, but I will give you my yes. I mean, there's so much that we don't see behind Peter's decision. Luke doesn't really tell us all that was going on in Peter's heart and mind, but we do see this tiny amount of belief turn to words, which then turned to action. And this shows us the path of Peter becoming more like Jesus. And we know the rest of the story, don't we? Peter and Andrew, they set out for deeper water. They drop their nets and the impossible happens. The impossible, more fish than two boats could possibly hold. James and John, they come on out, they bring their boat. Both of the boats are stacked full of fish. And there's this testament to Peter giving Jesus his yes. But in the midst of that miracle, there's one more very important interaction that I want us to look at. Luke 5, verse 8 says this, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Skipping down. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats onto the shore, left everything, and followed him. Even without the chosen, you can imagine this moment, right? Peter had given Jesus his yes, but in all likelihood, he, he probably thought Jesus was just going to use it as some sort of teaching analogy, or maybe at the very best that Jesus would provide a few fish to make a disappointing day a little bit better, but not this. This, for a fisherman, was too much. Talk about big fish stories. This was way beyond his possibility. He wasn't even considering this in his imagination that Jesus would go so far, so abundantly over, whoa, overboard. That was, that was well-timed. I remember, um, I remember a season of life, Brittany and I, we were in the process of like moving from a pastoral role that we were in into missions. And uh, we had kind of done all that like, selling everything and kind of packing up our, of our life. But we needed to raise a bunch of money in order to live like month to month. And we, we, we went out and we talked to our friends and we talked to churches and we did all that missionaries need to do. But it was terrifying because we'd given Jesus our yes, but then we needed to wait to see what the outcome was going to be. And the outcome took time and some hard work. But you know what's amazing is, is I still remember that very first time looking on the, the screen, figuring out how many donations came, were going to come in, and we had just enough to pay for our first salary, our first, like, pay, our first paycheck as a missionary. And we never had to worry about that again for the next 10 years. As God repeatedly, time and time and time again, showed up dramatically. I remember one of those really specific times where God, where we, we were in deep need. I think there was some visas that we had to pay for. And I didn't know where this money was going to come from. And then suddenly it showed up. I was out for a prayer walk. 
I was walking down the street and I had this Peter moment. A moment where I, I literally fell to my knees on the street crying because, Lord, I am not worthy of this, of your favor. You think about David crying out saying, who am I, Lord, that you would show me this kind of favor? Who am I that you would pour out this kind of blessing on me in this moment? Peter, humbled, falls at Jesus's feet and says, go, go away from me. I am just a sinful man. Dr. Daryl Bach, a New Testament theologian, says this, and it's a beautiful quote. The greatest moment in their fishing career causes them to stop and ponder what God is doing. Jesus has taken Peter's humble faith and scared him to death with God's presence. But in the uncertainty that often surrounds faith comes the divine honoring of its presence and a calm voice that says, don't be afraid. Grace is active. And Peter, he's taken aback, suddenly becoming so aware of his own humanity. God, why, why would you look at me? Why would you see me? Why would you put your posture towards me in this way and bless me? And in his humanity, in his frailty, he tries to push Jesus back. He's convinced that he's not worthy of Jesus seeing him, not worthy of Jesus's attention. But Dr. Bach continues in this quote, Simon Peter represents all disciples. His humility and awareness of his sin do not disqualify him from service they are the prerequisite for service. Let me say that again. His humility and awareness of his sin do not disqualify him from service. They are the prerequisite for service. Simon's response recalls the reaction of earlier great servants of God like Isaiah and Jeremiah who also bow in low in humility when they, are caught, when they caught a glimpse of God's presence. Jesus does not call those who think they can help God do his work. God does not need or want servants who think they're doing God a favor. Jesus calls those who know they need to be humble before his power and presence. From now on, Simon will be casting his net in a different sea, the sea of humanity's need for God. This is so good. So good, Peter, Peter's humbled spirit in this moment, it's what makes him perfect for the job. You see, God doesn't need us, but in his mercy, he chooses to partner with us as we open our hands in humble submission. The path to becoming like Jesus is a path of holy devotion. And it's this beautiful mixture of, of giving God our yes while standing in awe of his glory and his presence. In fact, you could say that devotion is kind of where those two things meet. My yes plus this humble awe, it equals devotion. And both of these pieces are super important. As we decide to follow Jesus and be devoted to him and become like him, both of those pieces are our imperative, we, we must give God our obedient yes, but to do so in humility. In fact, 
If we give God our yes, but we take away that humble awe, what we are left with is some strange form of religious obedience. Think the Pharisees. They, they were looking for the, to, to kind of look good, to have all of their ducks in a row, to, to be accepted. Or conversely, if we have that humble awe, but, but there's no yes, it kind of often looks a lot like hypocrisy. Living a two-sided life where we say we give our heart to God, but there's no proof in how we live our life. James would call this a dead faith, minus the behaviors and actions that demonstrate the life of Jesus. This is what Peter gave his faithful yes, full of awe, in humility, and that was devotion. But there's another story I want us to take a quick look at. Carry on, Luke. We're going to skip down a little bit to Luke 5, verse 27. Luke 5, 27 says this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now this is another kind of less common story of Jesus calling one of his disciples, Levi, or as we often will call him, Matthew. And he was a tax collector. And we've talked about this here before, how hated tax collectors were. They were not popular. They were seen as turncoats, Jews who worked for the Romans and, and likely gouged their friends or their neighbors, making themselves incredibly wealthy. Matthew would have been hated by his fellow countrymen. And he would have likely needed like a bodyguard and at the, at the very least, he would not want to have been seen for who he was, which makes Luke's use of the word saw there very interesting. The word in the original language, it suggests that Jesus was looking intently. And, and it's contrasted with the idea of like looking past. Jesus was looking at Matthew, seeing him. Matthew gives Jesus his yes, and we're left with this amazing story of how Matthew invites all of his outcast friends to this great party, this banquet, much to the Pharisees' chagrin. And it's this beautiful picture of Jesus and his disciples and Matthew and all of these outcasts who are sitting together feasting like in the kingdom. And the Pharisees, they stand aside, just looking at them, judging them, complaining why are you eating with these outcasts? This is the picture that we see of when, when Luke describes Matthew giving his yes. Isn't it amazing how often when a person takes that step of faith and maybe they're new to the story of Jesus, how easily it is to invite everybody to come and see. Come and see. But, in our conversation about devotion, I want to focus in 
on one phrase that takes place right in the middle. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Left everything and followed him. It's the exact same phrase from verse 11 with Peter. And in the original language, it can, it, it, it's like this idea of, of setting something aside and continuing to follow. It's continuous with no end in sight. This enduring kind of stepping forward, not momentary following. Levi makes the decision to step up from his booth, to leave everything behind him and to follow Jesus forever. And we don't get the same kind of like little dialogue between Levi and Jesus like we did with Peter, but the fruit of Levi's life is strikingly similar, isn't it? He leaves behind his old identities and his means of supporting himself and he follows his new rabbi, Jesus. Like Peter and Andrew and James and John, Levi sees Jesus seeing him. Levi sees Jesus seeing him and he's confronted by the disappointing and likely unfulfilling reality of his circumstances. And in the wake of this amazing man named Jesus, he can't help but stand up, slide the booth aside, and step out. Jesus is so compelling. And so Jesus, the rabbi, calls, I will make you a fisher of men. I will make you a thrower of kingdom banquets. I will make you my disciple. Just come, follow me. And they do. But again, this isn't about making Peter's or Levi's life like better. This is about creating a compelling new way to be human. An invitation to step into becoming like Jesus, becoming like our Father, becoming led by the Holy Spirit in a way that nobody had ever seen before. And so they step in. And this is where I'd like to kind of wrap up a little today. Because I think sometimes it can be hard to read these stories. We, we see the life of Peter and the life of Levi, these heroes and literally writers of the Bible. And it can be difficult to see ourselves in their story. They feel like they're so far off, so far away. This, this is, I, I couldn't be this person. These men who literally walked away from their old life to fully devote themselves to follow Jesus, what would that be like? I mean, what if, what if tomorrow, Monday morning, Jesus just showed up at your workplace? Just imagine it with me. Or he showed up at your school. What if Jesus just kind of like, he just showed up, he walked into the front door of Nike, he walked, in, he walked into Whole Foods and you were like on an aisle and he just like walked right up to you. You're like stocking stuff and Jesus walks up to you. Or you're sitting in second period math class. Jesus comes in, pulls up a bench beside you. Hey, how's it going? What, what if that happened? 
And then what if Jesus said, hey, I, I want you to ask your boss to take the afternoon off because you've got this great big party to plan and you're gonna invite all your coworkers to come to it. Or what if Jesus is like, hey, I'm wondering if it's okay if I slide into this next uh, big PR meeting that we've got. I've got some really great ideas. I think things are gonna like leap off the page, literally. I wanna bring my miraculous power into your workplace. I wanna see what would happen if a little Jesus got into a little bit of Nike. What would happen? I mean, what would happen if that invitation to have Jesus enter into our school, enter into our workplace was a real invitation? Now, you guys probably know where I'm going with this. But I want to be super clear. He is in your workplace. He is sitting in second period math. He is helping you do the most mundane, ordinary, discouraging parts of your job. He is already there. Amen. And the invitation that he extends to Peter, that he extends to Levi, is already there. Sometimes I think we miss the miraculous movements of Jesus because A, we don't ask, and B, we don't look for them when they've happened. But what if, what if you invited him into your job, invited him into your school? What if he became a part of that vocation with you? Now, I'll be honest, there are some vocations that aren't compatible with the kingdom. And we don't really have time to go into a lot of detail, but I feel like if you're here and you're selling illegal drugs on the side to make ends meet, this is my moment for Jesus to say to you, it's time to stop. And I really feel compelled to say that. Like if you're out there and you're doing something that you know is not kingdom, Jesus is saying it's time to stop. Enter in with me, join in with me. But there's also potentially another group of people out there and you're like, actually, I'm actually at a moment where I think God might be calling me to step into a new vocation, to step into a new calling. And maybe there's something powerful just around the corner, a specific work of justice or creativity or compassion or even evangelism that God is saying, like, now I'm calling you to step in deeper. Yeah, there, may, there might be some of you out there, but for most of us, for the majority of us, I, need, I think we need to work at breaking down that kind of like sacred secular divide that we have. Where Jesus isn't invited into certain zones of my life. All of our life can be an invitation to him. All of our life can be a moment where Jesus steps in and does the impossible, the unimaginable. Because he doesn't see fishing as something that's secular. He didn't even see the tax collecting. He stepped into that place in that moment. Jesus can make all of life sacred if we open our hands and say yes. And one of the best parts is that Jesus meets us in the reality of our life. I mean, when it's difficult, 
when it's messy, when it's inconvenient. Those are the places where he does some of his best work. And it's where he often calls us to follow. It's actually not usually up on the mountaintop. It's often in the valley. It's not when we've cleaned up our story, but it's actually when we come in our brokenness. In fact, I think Jesus prefers to work in our brokenness. I think partially it's because that whole idea of having it all together, it's a bit of an illusion, right? If we're going to be honest, it's an illusion. But also partially because if Jesus waited for us to get our ducks in a row, to get our act together, we would never partner with him, right? No, he, he sees through that, over that, past that, and he meets us right in the midst of it. Some of you are being invited as you wipe that toddler's snotty nose. Some of you are being invited as you sit in that coffee shop filling out your 23rd job application. Some of you are being invited in, in the middle of second period math. You're being invited as you're sitting in your pajamas in your apartment working rem remotely. You are being invited right where you are. The invitation of Jesus is an invitation to leave our shame. And when we give Jesus our yes, our devotion, we actually receive the perspective that we need to see our lives as he sees them, to see our work, our home, our school as he sees it. And it's amazing what a little bit of Jesus' perspective will do. There was this church in Glasgow that I often used to visit. It had beautiful, it was, it was just a beautiful space. It was very quiet, mostly empty church. And there was these giant stained glass windows and I remember, like, I would often go there to, like, kind of get quiet, get a quiet space and to pray. And I would sit there sometimes on this bench, like, looking at the stained glass windows, trying to figure out what they were. Because it's Scotland, and it rains, like, 97% of the time, right? It was always cloudy, always. And so the sun never really shined through, and they were old, like, hundreds of years old. And so they were covered in grease and grime, and, and you really couldn't see. But there was one day, one moment, I remember walking in the front door and literally like walking down the aisle as the sun took that moment to crack through the clouds and to shine straight through that stained glass window. And it is amazing what happens when you take broken fragments of glass and put them together and shine the sun through them? It's spectacular. The stories that were told, the, the beauty that was beheld, as it, even as it shined down onto the floor and it just lit the entire place up in color. I wonder how often we, as people, we, we see the fragments in our life. We see the broken pieces, the broken pieces of glass. And, and often many of them are all gummed up and they're old and, and they're dirty and they really just need some cleaning. And we don't even have the capacity to see the picture that God has been building this whole time. I wonder how many of us are here in this moment and Jesus is simply saying, give me your yes and let me shine my light through you. Because there's beauty here. Even broken fragments of old glass assembled by 
Jesus can create a beautiful picture. And this is the story that we have been invited into. Will you give Jesus your yes? I want to invite everyone to stand up to their feet. We are going to spend just a little moment praying together. Because I, I absolutely love Peter's little process that he has. I just invite you to go ahead and close your eyes and open up your hands. We see first in this kind of path, this prayer path, this, this moment, this confession of submission. With your eyes closed, I want you just to declare back to Jesus that he is Lord. Make a confession of submission. Peter's word was master, but just with your eyes closed, your hands open. Give Jesus the submission of your heart. The next thing Peter says is, here's my circumstances, Lord. This confession of reality. Here is the thing that I am finding myself stuck in, wrestling with, don't know how to get through. And just take a moment, explore your own heart, your own story, maybe even from this last week. Is there something at work, some part of relationships that, you've, that you're wrestling with, that you feel stuck in? Lord, this is the reality I'm feeling right now. Just offer that to Jesus. Remember, he, he can take it. Is there a place of disappointment? a hope that you would, you'd thought you were gonna be at this place by this point in your life, but you're not there. Offer it to Jesus. And then there's this next statement of that Peter says, and it's so important, it's this incredibly important but. But you say this, and I want you just to take this moment, this confession of truth. Listen to what God has to say about that difficult situation. What does God have to say about your fishless night? Your feeling of being an outcast. What does God have to say about that? Just receive from him. remembering Jesus is full of grace and compassion. He's not speaking shame over you right now. And last but not least, a confession of faith. So I will do this. Is there something, some call that Jesus has put on your heart right now in your journey of becoming like him, that he's saying, now's the time. It's time to step in. It's time to invite me 
into this conversation at work. It's time to invite me into your classroom. It's time. What's your I will? Lord, we just thank you so much for the fact that you are not a God that speaks shame over us, that you are a God that speaks love and opportunity and potential over us. You see us in the midst of our sinfulness on our knees and you say, don't worry, don't be afraid. I've got you. You see us in the shame of our situation. You see us as we're ostracized and, and put outside the camp and you go there with us. You join us. You see us. Thank you, Jesus. And right now, we just want to give you our yes. We want to become just like you. We want to give you our yes. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at ajesuschurch.org.